constructive, positive attitude or enthusiastic attitude really makes a difference for them. So. Consider your current scope of responsibilities and make sure that you are doing everything you can to make that uh, just very best delivery as possible. Creating this dynamic of parents saying we're not getting what we're paying at the same time, we are investing more and more and more. Welcome to ISS EDU Learn Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana. Here we'll be exploring how international schools are innovating and transforming education around the world. From the latest trends and insights to stories from teachers and administrators, you'll get the inside look to the global education landscape. So join us as we explore what the future of international education has in store. Get ready to be inspired, challenge the status quo, and embrace a world of possibilities. Welcome back to ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana, where we bring together experts and thought leaders from around the world to share insights and ideas that will help improve the education experience for students, teachers, administrations, and parents alike. I am Mike P., your favorite educator interviewer. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Dana Watts, who is the Director of Learning, Research, and Outreach at ISS. How are you, Dana? I'm great today, Mike. Thanks for having us. Dana, we never really know exactly who you are, and this is season two. So do you mind just, you know, briefly for two minutes, let us know what you have, you know, what do you do at ISS and maybe your some of your past experiences? I'm the director of learning research and outreach, and I run our professional development and training here at ISS and our ISS EDU Learn, our passport and things of that nature. And then in addition to that, I do a bunch of research for us on what's happening within the international schools and trying to look at leadership and the lack of diversity, equity, and inclusion within the international schools. And that's kind of my passion project. Awesome. And now that we're speaking about DEIJ, that actually falls under the topic of our guest today. And I would like to introduce our guest, Joel LeBon. Joel is an educator, speaker, and consultant who has directed his career, who has dedicated his career for developing and implementing culturally responsive and sustaining learning. He has worked with international schools in many countries and is an advocate for equity and inclusion in education. Welcome, Joel. Hello. Hi, Mike. It's really uh, wonderful to be here. Thanks for having us. Yes. Yeah. It's great to have you with us today, Joel. And just to begin with, could you just tell us a little bit about your work and how you help international schools develop culturally responsive and sustaining learning? All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Joel Yablin, and I work as the inaugural director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Justice here at the International School Services. Uh, my career started out as an as a classroom teacher in my home country in the Philippines, and then I moved into Beijing and then Brussels and then Kuala Lumpur. Perfect. Perfect. All right. What are some ways that learning leaders can work with their peers to develop transformative actions on curriculum and learning? I think starting when it comes to cultural responsive pedagogy or diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, mm -hmm. I think the cornerstone, the, the first thing that we need to do is to really understand who we are as not only as educators, but also who we are as individuals, being mindful of our own identities, starting out with our identities, and then not only the singular identities that we have, but the intersectional identities of who we are and how our identities are influenced by our socialization, our upbringing, our histories, 
And then at the same time, how they actually influence to the way we teach, the way we hold power and positionalities as educators in the classroom, in schools, in different places, in different ecosystems where we are immersed in. And so to me, that is that is a starting point that's always critical. And you have attended different sessions around, you know, grounded in DIJB work. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, identity work is the entry point. And if not, it's not just the entry point, but it actually is a foundation that has to undergird the many conversations and work that we have with the DEIJ because it's a constant reflection, Mike. It really has to go back to how we navigate different places and spaces, especially places and spaces that are racialized places and spaces predominantly white-centered institutions. Uh, many of us are in different areas in there. And so we are understanding who we are and how we are understanding the nuances, the complexities. It's a long-winded answer, but then to me, what really captures it is, is that it starts with understanding who we are and how we are influenced and how we influence others in, in our communities. And I think that's so important, right, in the international school community, because our students come to us with so many identities. There's so many different aspects of their lives, not just their passport, their ethnic background, their nationality, you know, their sexuality, all those different components, right? And in the past, I think we were approaching international education as almost a one-size-fits-all, and maybe that's not true, right? But it felt that way, at least I thought so. And now it seems like we're really starting to look at all the different aspects of our students and how do we honor those and help them feel like they don't need to conform to what the dominant culture might be. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out, Dady, because it's really, I think you're trying to kind of bring in together the idea of, like I used to think about the self two systems, right? We start with our identity, we start thinking about who we are, and then before we can transform systems. But I think it really is around a, a helix, a continuous process of understanding who we are and then understanding the systems that we belong or we don't. Like that's really being able to understand. So that self and systems coexist, co-develop, and how are we understanding the inequities of our systems and how they're also impacting and influencing the lives of identities at the margin? Mm -hmm. Perfect, Joel. Thank you for that response in regards to learning leaders. I want to transfer it over to uh, the students now. How can international schools ensure that their learning systems are equitable and accessible for all students? I think that we go back to also the, we cannot define equity and inclusion mm -hmm. if we do not deeply unpack and understand and examine and excavate the inequities and the exclusion within our communities. So if we don't name them, we don't reflect on them, we don't acknowledge what are the inequities of our systems, by truly listening to the stories from the margin, BIPOC identities or the many other intersectional identities that are not usually centered in our communities, we can only be recreating desired outcomes from our own imagination as opposed to really coming from people at the margin. And you think that's the power of, of listening circles, right? That's the power of going beyond the satellite data into street data as, as advocated by Dr. Jamila Dugan and Shane Safir. And that whole idea that sometimes when we ask, well, from zero to 10, how do you belong? Like, how do you feel like you belong in our community? Like my definition, my seven may not be the same as your seven. But then when we truly listen to the story, the narratives of our community, 
those stories of harm, stories of healing, stories of hope can be surfaced in the community. And by then, we anchor those desired outcomes. We define those desired outcomes coming from stories of the margin, because that is the power of a co-created desired outcomes as opposed to, now that I've heard your story, let me co-create an outcome for you. But what truly is powerful is that now we know what are the sources of harm. How can we design an equitable system together? Those learning circles that you were talking about, is that something that can help teachers and administrators create a curriculum that's culturally responsive and sustaining? Yeah, this, some of those might is like it's one thing is like when, with culture responsive and sustaining pedagogies, like it's it's also not only in the classroom, right? It's also mm-hmm. we can of the different elements of schooling because as we know, governance and leadership in, impact and influence student learning. Like the decisions that are made by the board and decisions that are made by school leaders will deeply influence the lives and learning of, of our students in the school. And as well as the many elements of the community, many stakeholders of the community, many members of the community. And so when I think about the listening circle that's highly representative, that involves listening to the many voices from our community, we're able to listen to diverse perspectives and experiences. And when those experiences are shared in a bold and brave, as, as well as safe environment, we can use and leverage them, not only as stories that are commodified, like, okay, here, I'm listening to your stories right now. And thank you for sharing me your story. But really, after that, it's like, what am I going to do with the stories that I've heard? I think that is a critical component there, right? If we listen to the stories from the margin for school leaders, for educators in the classroom. If we seek out the stories for students, what am I going to do with, with this feedback? I used to think, Mike, that when I, was a, when I was a teacher, I used to be threatened by the feedback of my students because they were technically, it's, it's sort of an assault to my power. <laughs> you know, if you think about that, because we've been so conditioned in the classroom traditionally of like, you've got this whole power imbalance. And so if we're not also unpacking what it means to hold that power, in the classroom and how to use that power to leverage for change, for humanization in the classroom, we could, by design or as a consequence of it, also be replicating harm in our classroom. And so reflecting on it right now in my early years of teaching, I remember those times when my kids would provide feedback and I was like, oh, no, it shouldn't be this because, you know, I'm, I'm the teacher, so I should be deciding on that. But then I think the power the call to action of for many of us who've been called into grow into becoming more culture responsive by really leveraging, listening and leveraging and transforming our school spaces and communities into a space where we listen intentionally and consciously to the stories of, of our students, of our colleagues, and then use them to design for belonging, design for inclusion, design for equity in our communities. And it's a long process because It's not just, okay, here's a one-off listening circle, and then here's what it is. But it really is, how can we design a culture of listening in our communities? As an educational professional, you likely understand the positive and crucial role inclusion has on classroom culture. And you might be on the lookout for a community of like-minded educators. Senya International is that community. Senya is a nonprofit organization that advocates for individuals with disabilities and promotes inclusive educational practices across the globe. With a network of educators, families, students, and professionals, Senya offers connection, professional learning, and support for educators like you. 
Connect with the Senya community via our membership program or a local chapter in your area. Enjoy professional learning with the Senya community via our podcasts, online certification program, and in-person or virtual conferences. Support Senya through our sponsorships, awards, and scholarship program. So, what are you waiting for? For more information, head to our website, senyainternational.org. That's S-E-N-I-A international.org. And together, we continue to make a difference and fulfill our vision of living in an inclusive world. You spoke about listening circles. You spoke about feedbacks. I think these are best practices that you were speaking about for teachers to kind of collaborate with their students in a culturally diverse classroom. Is there any other practices that you can kind of think of that teachers can utilize? Anything you've seen at other schools or anything you implemented yourself? No. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> I believe you. I have a you. question, Joel. I was just like, no, I can't. I'm not. Probably not as effectively as you want, probably. Yeah, but, and, and those things, Mike, it's like that's only one of the many. And I wonder, I think it's more of how can we build a culture of listening without commodifying the stories and using those stories to really transform systems? but they could be in different modalities. It doesn't have to be a listening circle. It could also be a consistent, regular check-in in in a classroom Mm -hmm. through more. That in itself, like every single day, every single interaction that we have in our school, in our community is a form of data collection. Oftentimes we only think about data as a formalized sort of methodology on research, of research, but then, Every interaction that we have, we create a culture of belonging, a culture of listening. I get to know people and that relationship is built. And then from there, you're also understanding the stories of people that you don't even have to make if alongside the formal research and all that, you actually know people already. And because of that relationship, you get to know what are the inequities of the system? What are the feelings of others around the lack of belonging in communities and schools and organizations? And so, yeah, I just see that one as... We have to expand our traditional definition of understanding and examining and unpacking and communicating data. Well, I have a question. So, so I love all the stuff about culturally responsive teaching. And I think there's so much that our international schools can do along those lines to really impact the curriculum, the way we're teaching, how we're teaching, what we're teaching. But I wonder, so because of all of the backlash towards critical race theory, And the initials are the same, right? So culturally responsive teaching, CRT, and then critical race theory, CRT, right? Which I think is great as well, right? But there's so much misinformation about critical race theory. And by chance, is that impacting our ability to do culturally responsive teaching? Because like parent communities and outside communities don't see that they're different. And are they that? Well, they are different, but I mean... How do we handle that? For if, if I'm a school leader and I'm saying we're going to do culturally responsive teaching, how do I help? What would be your response as a school leader when a parent comes in and says, you're doing CRT? No, no, don't do that to my children. You're, you know, you're trying to make them woke or you're trying to do whatever. Like, how might you help a school leader address that question from a parent? I think we have a narrow definition of culture because Oftentimes we think about culture in the lens of food flag and festivals and passport and nationalities and all of that. But I think we sometimes miss out of the many different 
elements of the deep culture of people and the deep culture of our communities. And so we only think about culture from the lens of the surface culture that we have, and they are essential too. But then at the same time, one of the challenges that we have as well is that I don't know how many of us in our teacher training program have been taught culture responsive pedagogy. I think many of us right now are learners, are, are growing our awareness, are reflecting a little bit more on culture responsive teaching. Because back then, when we talk about culture, it's this the food flag and festival. And that is our definition of culture, but we never really consider the whole idea of the social political consciousness. Like, for instance, if we learn from the works of, you know, Dr. Zaretta Hammond, who is the culture, the author of culture responsive teaching on the brain, is like part of that is that identity. How do kids have this amygdala hijack whenever their identities are not affirmed in the classroom? Like we never look at it from the cognitive standpoint. We never look at it from a variety of standpoint in terms of defining what culture is. Perfect response. And just piggybacking off what Dana said, she definitely brought in something that I wanted to speak about, which is what are the roles do you believe the parents and the community members can play in creating a culture responsive and sustaining learning environments? I was really inspired by the works of Dr. Yolanda Celia Ruiz. She's got a really wonderful video on YouTube that talks about truth, love, and racial literacy. I don't think we talk about race and racism as much before. We, we've never been taught as educators before to address the intersexual identities of our kids and even our own intersexual identities, not only until very recently, at least for myself, I can speak for myself around that. And so I think increasing our racial literacy, understanding how many of us operate in, and all of us operate in a racialized world, and how so many of our identities are impacted by marginalization and systems of oppression. You think being able to understand that and have that, because sometimes when we talk about cultural responsive teaching, we only think about it in one lens, but it's not really talking about what, how can we teach our kids social political consciousness to examine our society. That is one of the tenets of cultural responsive teaching, that critical consciousness to be able to understand. Like So my thinking around this, sometimes we, we say, well, we're doing DIJB work because we've diversified the authorship and the stories in, in our libraries. But then the question is, how are we teaching those books? Like, what are the kinds of questions that will challenge the stereotypes, the assumption, the racialization, the racism in those books, or the gender injustice in those books, or the linguistic injustice in those books, or the disability injustice in those books? And so it's, it's not just about diversifying the books or changing the many books that we have, but it's also teaching to ask those critical questions around the narratives in the books. Thank you for that, Joel. Joel, where are you at the moment? I am back home at the moment. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm right here. It feels so good to be home. I mean, I am. I haven't been home, home in my where the dogs are in Kuala Lumpur in in Malaysia, where that that is currently home. But then I'm also here in my in my first home. And that was my question in the last month that you were away. Like, what was the exciting, you know, things that you were accomplishing while you were away in the schools that you were consulting with? Yeah, I've been, I've been in a couple of schools the past few months or weeks. What's exciting is that there's a lot more questions and wonderings. At the same time, a lot more deeper work with different schools. The, the kind of work that is now beyond the superficial 
DIJ statements. Mm-hmm. Now really looking at systems of inequity or systems of injustice or the lack of belonging. And different communities are now reflecting on how might equity and inclusion look like in the many elements of schooling, in the many aspects of the different parts of their communities. And there's more leaning in to each other, asking more questions and working together and asking different ways people can support. And I think that is the the joy there, right? In in different schools who are beginning to commit. A lot of schools now are, are, that's at least schools that I've been connected with, have gone beyond superficial understanding of culture to really examining the deep culture within their own communities as a result of understanding power and power dynamics, as a result of their own understanding of their own identities, of their white, white accountability and how they can be allies and co-conspirators to the work of DIJB. More and more schools are understanding, too, that this is a child protection, fundamentally a child protection issue, mm-hmm. that when students are experiencing racism, gender injustice, disability injustice, that it is fundamentally a child protection issue. Before, it used to be that when we talk about child protection, is that it's the physical or domestic or sexual violence against a child. But now people are beginning to become more aware or deeply understand that this is that racism is a child protection issue. Yeah. Well, you're an author. Am I an author? Yes. Okay. Not yet, at least. I just write little articles to provoke my own thinking first (laughs) as a way to heal, as a way to liberate. And then I get to share it with folks in our community. Okay. Do you have any uh, that you would like our listeners to go to? Any articles or books that you read recently that could potentially assist with this topic? To me, fundamental read in our work in DIJB is really cast by Isabel Wilkerson. And I think ISS did a book study on that one as well internally, um, I think a couple of years ago. I'm always a fan of The Wake Up. Michelle Mijinkin mm-hmm. made a great honor of having with us as part of our book club that was led by Margaret Park at ISS, the beautiful thing about The Wake Up is that it challenges us to think beyond the binary of, am I good or am I bad? You know, it's really around. And then to examine as well, the whole idea of our why in supporting social justice, going beyond saviorism of like, here I am, I'm able to help you or help the community or help BIPOC community. It's really around, well, all of us have, have work to do. And we need to make sure that we are co-creating, we're collaborating, we're supporting each other. That's one. At the same time, I'm also a fan of Zaretta Hammond on cultural responsive teaching of the brain, the works of Django Perez, the works of Daniel Wickner on identity-centered learning, Paul Gorski and Marceline Du Bois for equity-centered equity literacy. They really have tons of great resources that's really centered around equity that's examining our systems. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you, Joel. I have a lot to go and dive deep into for our next interview so I can know a little bit more. Do you have any last advice that you would like to give to our listeners who are attempting to make their classrooms a little bit more culturally diverse and having challenges? Thanks, Mike. No, thank, first thing is thanks to, to you and Dana and Molly Faye for a conversation today. My, my thing is sometimes there's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of demotivation in different places. 
as influenced by the many other rhetoric that we hear in, in different parts of the world. But we have to remember that this work on DIJB is a, a work of humanity, it's joyful and courageous work. And that we always have to remember that this is for the best interests of students and this is for the best interests of the colleagues in our in our communities. Yeah. Joel, is there any way that you would like to let our listeners how they can reach out to you via Twitter, Instagram, uh, smoke signals? I'm not too sure how these things work nowadays, but let us know how we can reach you. <laughs> I love that idea of smoke signals. <laughs> No, Mike, it's like you can connect me on Twitter, Joel Jr. Liavan. This is my Twitter handle, but I'm here connected with International School Services. And so feel free to reach out for anything. We've got a lot of things going on. We've got learning to action happening. We have all ISS EduLearn. We have a lot of that in that's grounded on DIJ, anything on learning and leadership. So we invite you all to be a part of our community, our learning community, our DIJB community. I'm also a member of the Association of International Educators and Leaders of Color, such a bold and brave community of leaders and learners who are doing great work around DIJB, especially for international schools so we look forward to being with you in different spaces in different areas all right we'd like to thank joel for joining us today and for sharing his insights on leading culturally responsive and sustaining learning we hope that this episode will encourage you as international schools to create learning environments that are equitable accessible and reflective of all student identities and perspectives Thank you for listening and thank you, Joel, for your time today. Join us for our next episode where we will continue to explore more ways on how to improve the education experience for us all. Until next time, our fellow educators, bye-bye.